Welcome listeners to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is an SUU, that's Southern Utah University in Cedar City, student who's a major in psychology, my friend Caleb Cox. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. How old are you, Caleb? I am 22 years old. You're 22. I got to know Caleb probably well before his mission. He was on social media and I'm on social media and um, then I kind of followed him on his mission. I think I got in his email distribution, had a terrific mission. Um, he's going to talk about that. He had a mission that happened during COVID, and he's going to talk about um, the multiple places he was assigned and served and just that journey. Um, then I had the chance to go to Caleb's homecoming and heard his just terrific talk. Caleb is somebody that loves all of God's children and is one of the very best examples of that in my life of somebody that really cares about all of God's children. And so you'll hear some of that as he shares his story. Is that okay for an introduction, Caleb? Yeah, absolutely. That, that works. <laughs> we said a prayer before we start, and we just hope this podcast is helpful for you. Those of you that are navigating complicated missions, those of you that are looking to better support LGBTQ people, those of you that are just trying to help everybody feel Christ's love and God's love for them. So with that, I'll turn it over to you, Caleb. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you gave me a pretty good introduction. Uh, just, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I'm currently down at SEU studying psychology. Um, yeah, just, just, I don't know. It's, it's hard to sort of figure out how to get these started, but, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm from a small town called, called Fairview, Utah. I'm sure most of our listeners probably don't know (laughs) where that is. Um, it's kind of by Ephraim and Manti, if anyone's aware of where those are. Um, yeah, so I, I sort of grew up in this small town. Um, you know, life, life's pretty quiet out there. I think Fairview has about like 1200 people. One high school, one high school, Sampede. uh, for, for North, we, I went to North Sampede high school. Um, so I think there are three high schools in, in, in the County and we had like basically the entire North Northern half. Um, yeah, just several towns sort of convulsed into Mount Pleasant, Utah. And yeah, I think we had 600 or so kids, about 120 in my graduating class. Um, it's pretty good size. Yeah. You know, I've, I've heard a lot smaller in, in Utah before, but yeah, no, just, you know, just, just a pretty, pretty normal, normal life upbringing. Um, yeah. And, uh, until of course, uh, uh, you, you didn't mention this, um, in, in the introduction, which, which was okay. Cause we talked about that, but um, uh, my dad is, is, is governor Spencer Cox. Um, so that's, that's sort of, I guess the, the turning point, a big turning point in my life was as he started to get more involved in politics, that's when things in my life started to, to shift from being kind of uneventful, uninteresting to, you know, a little bit different than, than most people. It was actually when he got, got uh, sworn in as Lieutenant governor when I was about 12 or 13 years old. So, um, yeah, which just was, just definitely, definitely led to a lot of uh, different things, but that's just all to say is um, just growing up in, in a small town, you know, um, there was a lot I didn't know and didn't see. Um, you know, I, I was never like I, my parents were always good and they taught us to to love and, and care about people. But, you know, there were, there were just certain, certain types of people, I guess, in, in my life or rather that weren't in my life. Um, and, and it just made, made things difficult for me to sort of, sort of grasp that, um, just cause I wasn't exposed to it as much, um, you know, largely as it relates to people in the LGBTQ community, um, you know, just, just different things that I can think back on, you know, just calling things gay was just something we did, you know, as an insult or whatever, you know, just, just growing up, there were just a lot of these sort of, you know, terms and, and just, it just wasn't something I, I gave much thought. It wasn't that I had an active hatred of, of gay people at all or anything. I just, it was just not something that was present for me. Um, but there was the big turning point, um, was, was in 2015. I want to say it was either 2015 or 2016. I think it was probably 2016 actually. Um, the, the pulse nightclub shooting happened. Um, and, and that just sort of made me grapple with a lot of those feelings or lack of feelings, I guess I had. Um, and it, uh, and what really made me have to, to deal with that. I mean, first I saw the news and I was just like, you know, I realized how tragic it was, but it made me realize like, wait a minute, like why, why would someone, why would someone do this? You know, like what, 
Like what it just it just sort of opened this world for me of like, wow, like these people really are treated are treated poorly and 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 there's something something fundamentally wrong here. Um and uh and my dad, he he gave a speech at at a vigil um in Salt Lake City um about, you know, for for Pulse and um and he just gave a speech apologizing, just talking about how he grew up. I mean, similar to kind of what I was just talking about my growing up, you know, just, just didn't know these people just knew certain people were kind of weird. And like, that was kind of where he would like, that's where his knowledge was growing up. And, um, and he was just able to, uh, he, he had just changed a lot, um, in, 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 a lot, in, in the years since. And he just wanted to po- apologize to the way he treated them and just the way that, that he used to think about them. And, um, and it, and it really touched me, you know, as I would have been 15 at the time. So, um, so to see my dad get up there and, and say those words, uh, was, was pretty, pretty fundamental, uh, in, in me sort of figuring out, um, my relationship with, with the LGBTQ community and, and, um, yeah. And just what, what my thoughts were, um, and so I was really, really grateful for that. And it was also just a really big turning point in the sense that like that speech did go viral. Like it was retweeted by like Ellen and Hillary Clinton. I remember saying that and just being very almost alarmed. Well, yeah, probably alarms just, just at, like how much public publicity he was getting. And I was like, wow, like this is, this is wild, you know? So, um, but yeah, I just, I'm very grateful for that. Um, it was, it was very sort of, yeah, fundamental in me figuring out. Uh, my feelings um, there and, and, and really shifted. So that would have been like my freshman sophomore. I think it was, that would have been between my freshman and sophomore years of high school. So it was kind of a perfect moment for me as I was sort of growing up to, to have that shift. It was interesting. I mean, you were 15, I was 53 (laughs) and I was going through a shift just like you were. And you're, I was in that YSA assignment and was just kind of stepping in the space of trying to be an ally and your dad's speech impacted me. Um, cause I, it was helpful to me to see somebody of privilege talking about a marginalized group the way he did and how he didn't sell out any of his beliefs to do that. Right. In fact, I think he taught what our beliefs are in a practical way of more and bearing comfort. Yeah. So it was a helpful speech for me. Um, and I was glad he gave it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And yeah. So, so yeah, regardless of, you know, where, where I'm at today, you know, what, whatever happens, I, I owe a lot to, to, to that and to, to that moment. Yeah. And honestly, there was kind of another, another big point. I remember, um, just more specifically as it relates to the church. Um, I think it would have been like November of 2018. I, I can't remember exactly what, but, um, I think it was, he was elder Oaks at the time, um, gave, gave a talk, um, about about trans people or it was something related to either gender or sexuality and i remember that was like one of the first times i was ever made uncomfortable by a by a conference talk um and it was the first time where i or i was like something something's not quite right here um which which was a big yeah another big shift and um i remember going just being really uncomfortable with it but also just uncomfortable with my uncomfortability my discomfort um and because I was like, wait a minute, like I'm supposed to feel the spirit. I'm supposed to feel uplifted here. Um, you know, what am I supposed to do? Like, how do I, how do I deal with these, these complicated emotions right now? And, uh, I remember going in and talking to my dad and I said, Hey, this talk kind of made me uncomfortable and I'm not sure why, like it, it gave me a lot of solace and a lot of space to, to exist, um, as, as someone that was confused and, and, and figuring a lot out and, and I felt safe in, in exploring that. Um, so yeah, so, um, which that, that just is kind of a, a laying sort of this groundwork for just the fact that, um, you know, my, my relationship with, 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 with queer people, with, with the church, um, with the church especially has been, it's been, it's been an ongoing developing one and there's a lot that's, that's continuing to develop, but um, that's, that just sort of is, is a lot of where, where that comes from just to give some context. So, yeah. Thank you for that great context. And I love that you, your family's a safe place for you to talk about an uncomfortable conference talk and that you felt safe opening up to your dad. So I think that's great. 
Yeah, absolutely. You're doing a good job. Keep sharing, Caleb. Yeah, no, I, uh, yeah. So, so I, I, you know, I went through high school, um, you know, I continuing to learn and grow, you know, even though that was like sophomore year, there was just like, I can basically, yeah. Think of, of each year, how, how things, things change. And, and I, you know, I think it was all for the better. I think I was, you know, growing as a person and learning a lot of things that I had either been unable or unwilling to, to learn earlier. Um, and, and it just, I started to sort of see, see more and more just the issues that a lot of these, these people were facing, these people in these groups. And, and it just sort of made me fundamentally re-examine a lot of, a lot of my beliefs, you know, like what, what do, like, what do I believe about, you know, gay people and gay marriage and trans people? Like, and then the more I sort of delved into these spaces, you know, like online was a big one. Um, you know, Twitter definitely has its problems, but it definitely, uh, introduced me to a lot of really cool people like, like yourself and another big one. Um, like, you know, just shout out to, to Calvin Burke. Calvin Calvin is one of my very, very dear friends. And, uh, he has been very an important part in my life. Um, as I get into the mission stuff, uh, that, that, that part definitely make, uh, is a lot more clear, but yeah. So, so I just was introduced to a lot of really great new people, um, got to know a lot of, a lot of people's struggles and, and their nuanced faith and, um, and just a lot of other things that they're going through. And it just really allowed me to sort of expand, you know, I was from this small town, this small high school really allowed me to see a lot more, uh, than I would have been able to see otherwise. So, um, I am very grateful for that. Um, and so, yeah, so then I, um, you know, I graduated high school, um, May of 2019. So, um, and just the plan was always to go on a mission. Um, my older brother was on his mission at the time. Uh, he served in Mozambique, Africa, uh, for two years. Um, my last two years of high school and, um, he was getting back. It was, I think it was that June. So, so we had basically a couple months of the summer together and, um, and then it would be my turn. Um, and I was called to serve, like you mentioned, uh, in Tahiti, uh, the Tahiti Papaete mission. Um, and I left, I left in August and, and that was honestly, even though I was really scared, really nervous and, and, you know, my feelings within the church and a lot of my nuanced faith and whatnot, were still kind of developing. I still felt very good about serving a mission. Um, and, and, and it really, and it really was fantastic. Uh, Tahiti's, you know, obviously a very, very beautiful place. Um, it was really neat to, to learn French, you know, do, do all those things. And, um, yeah, just, just meet a lot of really, really neat people who I, who I still love and value to this day. Um, everyone in Tahiti has Facebook, so it, it, it's really been nice to keep, you know, keep in contact with all of them. Um, yeah. And I just really felt like I was, even though it was, it was very difficult for me. I really felt like I was like, I was thriving and, and things, things felt right. Um, which if that's ever happening in your life, not to be, uh, like, pessimistic or anything but if if things are going that well that usually means there's some kind of curveball <laughs> around the corner that's about to kind of throw everything on its head and and sure enough um if you're remembering the timetable of everything uh, a few months later uh march of 2020 hits uh you know covid you know is is just ravaging i remember just like hearing whisperings of it in tahiti and everyone was like you know about this like coronavirus and i was like wait what like what's going on and then they're like oh like it's spreading like it'll probably be fine and then like cases got to tahiti and then we had to like lock up and then but then we like moved back because i was off island i was on a different island um then they moved us back to the main island of tahiti um and then we just were like are we going home like what's what's happening and then sure enough like a week or so later uh, i was on a plane um back home uh you know about, about six or seven months into my mission and i was yeah something i could never in a million years have anticipated, you know? And so, um, yeah, so I was home basically from April through July. Uh, I was back home, you know, worked a little bit. Um, I had gotten a reassignment to, uh, Montreal, Canada originally, which I was very excited about because, um, you know, that's French speaking and I could continue to learn French and, and speak French and practice that. Um, you know, I could still have like the, the, the foreign mission, you know, and even if it was a little closer, I still thought that was pretty neat. Um, but you know, obviously with COVID and everything, even Canada was, was pretty hard to, to get to and from. So 
I eventually got a new reassignment uh, to Farmington, New Mexico, which, you know, I, I was disappointed. I, I, I tried to pretend I wasn't just because, you know, they always teach you, you know, wherever you go, like God is prepared or, or you know, the, but I, I, I couldn't I couldn't shake just the, the way I was disappointed about that. Um, but with that came sort of its own interesting set of circumstances. Um, the, the Farmington, New Mexico mission is largely occupied by, by the Navajo Nation, the Navajo Reservation, which, which was a really uh, unique experience. Um, but, but even with all that, I really debated just, just calling it there, you know, before I, before I headed back out, just, uh, just deciding like, I'm, I don't want to do this anymore. And, uh, I was able to kind of think about it and, and I, and I talked to myself and my mom helped and, and we went and I, and I went. Um, and so, yeah. And I think that's incredibly courageous. Just all the curveballs of COVID Tahiti, learning the French language, getting involved in that. It's just, I can't imagine what that's like to get on a plane. You're six, seven months, you're really settling in all that work on the language. and then. Farmington, New Mexico. Yeah, it's it's the same church and the same gospel. It's a big difference for sure. Um, I think it's incredibly heroic and courageous of you to say, "I'll, I'll go give that a go." Yeah. Well, thank you. That's 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 very kind. Um, yeah, it definitely was. Yeah, a step. You know, a blind step. I guess, as it were. You know, blind step. Good vocabulary. Case. Yeah. Yeah. A, a leap of faith. I guess. You know, just just putting myself back out there despite every, everything that was going on, you know, not knowing if I'd even get to like leave the house ever, you know, and I, and I still, well, I, you know, I wanted to be careful because, you know, if, if, if anyone remembers, uh, the Navajo nation specifically was hit very, very, uh, really badly by, by COVID and, um, yeah, a lot of, a lot of suffering out there specifically at the time. So, um, and yeah, and, and sure enough, um, you know, I, I would love to, to finish this story by saying, you know, I went out onto the reservation and, and I, and I found the spark again and, and, you know, I, I found my new purpose, but, but it, it's, it's not quite that, you know, quite that simple. Um, I, I, I struggled a lot. Um, just, there were just a lot of things, um, that kind of, op- I, I sort of had to open my eyes to and was as forced to grapple with, um, you know, a lot of it was just a lot of apathy that, that really kind of upset me. Um, you know, COVID was happening. And like I said, we were on a very, very vulnerable spot for, uh, for people with COVID, but it just felt like missionaries didn't really care a lot. You know, a lot of them were just kind of a little miffed that they had to stay in their apartment. You know, they just wanted to, to go out there and they're like, who cares? Meanwhile, you know, death reports were coming out every day. And, and it just, I don't know, it just made me sad where I'm just like, why? Like, why aren't we, why aren't we caring a little more about this? Like, why are we trying to skirt rules? Why do we feel like these rules are there just, just because, and not because we're actively trying to save lives out here. Um, so that was really hard just to see, you know, a bunch of people who, you know, where we call them ourselves, you know, representatives of Jesus Christ. And it just feels like we were, we were ignoring some of the most fundamental parts of, of what, what that's about. Um, yeah. And so. So that was just really hard for me to sort of have to have to grapple with, you know, to see like all these people that I thought, you know, I thought were here to represent the savior, um, just not really doing that. And so, and and it happened in a lot of ways, you know, I saw a lot of, a lot of racism from, from elders, um, towards, you know, the Navajo people, a lot of just, yeah, just, just some of the, some of the worst, worst things I've ever heard people say, you know, from, from missionaries and, 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 and it, and it was just so hard. Cause I thought, you know, and I'm sure I know there's lots of great elders out there and I met several of them on my mission and I'm really grateful for them, but it just felt like it was such a, such a prevalent thing that I couldn't quite stand up to it all because, um, you know, they'd be in groups, you know, it'd be these district meetings or, or, or what have you. Um, you know, I was in, there were some district group chats and zone group chats that I were in, was in, and they would just share these things, you know, these, these images, these memes, these jokes. And I, I, and I was just like, what, like, what, what's happening here? You know, what are we doing here? Um, thankfully with a lot of those things, um, 
it got to such a breaking point that I did. Eventually, our mission president found out about it, and it looks like a lot of action was sort of taken to help mitigate those things. And so, and so I hope things, things are going a lot better now, but it was just really hard for me to, to go out there. And, and like, I know, I know I'm kind of in a very, like my position in the church and my relationship with the church, even as a missionary was very complicated. And I didn't expect everyone to be, you know, this like bastion of, of progressive, you know, missionary uh, standard or whatever. But I don't know, I just expected a little more kindness and, and, and empathy from, from the people who are supposed to be serving, you know, out there and, um, and just not seeing that really anywhere. I mean, it was in, there were, it was, there were, it was there in certain places, but, but just to see such an overwhelming, you know, apathy from, from these people was, was very disheartening and, and it made things very difficult. I felt very isolated and alone and, um, and, and that's where some of these other people come in. Um, like, like Calvin, like he was a very good support to me on my mission. We connected on, you know, on Facebook messenger, which was one of our sort of communication channels as missionaries and able to talk to him, able to talk to like my brother and, and just, you know, people who I knew would, would listen and, and, and totally understand. And they wouldn't just be like, Oh, you know, just, just, just pray about, you know, just, uh, forget yourself and go to work. Like they would actually be like, I'm sorry, you're dealing with that. Like, how can I sort of be here for you? And, and that's really valuable, I think on a mission, especially when you can feel so, so isolated. So out there on your own, it's, it's great to have people, a support group at home that I felt like I could, I could sort of rely on there. So, yeah. So, um, yeah, like I said, I, I wished I could have like this, like, sort of cohesive like lesson or, or, or theme from, from my mission. But it was just, it was a lot of, a lot of just really difficult days and nights to have to get through. Um, but thankfully there were some people I, I do want to mention that were out there that just, that did make it worthwhile, um, that I did find, um, comfort in. There was, there were some elders there, one of my companions, um, uh, let's see. Oh, Elder Heaton. Sorry, I I I I blanked for a second. I I, I promise. I, I know I know who he is. Um, but uh, yeah, he was he was a companion of mine. He just had the kindness and and empathy that I was looking for, and I just felt like I could share with him some of my struggles. And 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 he was very kind. Um, one person specifically, probably one of the best people I've ever met. I met on my mission. His name is Jose. Um, he's he's from Winslow, Arizona. He. Um, isn't he, he wasn't a missionary. He wasn't a member. Um, he was kind of an investigator, but not, but not really. Um, he, what, what he was is he would give haircuts to, to the missionaries for free. Um, and cause he just really liked the missionaries. He just thought they were very kind and sweet. And so, um, and so one day I met, I met him cause I needed a haircut and we saw this guy who gave free haircuts in our contacts. <laughs> um, and so we, uh, so I went over to him and then I actually left sort of that area, but then I came back to an adjacent area a few months later and I was like, I want to meet him again. And so we ended up just going to his house like every week and to, to sort of teach him lessons. But really it was like kind of weekly therapy. Like he just let, he just let us sit there and just kind of chat for several hours about the things I was struggling with. And, and I, yeah. And I'm just so, so grateful for that. It was like, you know, I, you know, sometimes I believe that sometimes God can put people in your life. And I absolutely believe he was like sort of an angel in that way where he was sort of there to, to protect me and take care of me. If only for, for a little while in the, in a short little span, um, me and him still, you know, we're still in contact to this day and, um, yeah, and he's, he's, he's really incredible. Um, yeah, one, one last little mission anecdote I kind of want to share, um, was with uh it was another elder we weren't companions um he was he was in my district and um and me and him were pretty close we kind of we were both in trios um but we were both kind of the odd man out of those and it was a district of just like the two elder companionships and we both felt kind of like the odd man out um from from those six of us um, and so, and I think everyone else kind of knew that too. So whenever we did like exchanges or stuff, they would always stick the two of us together. I'm sure. So they could go have fun. Um, 
but but I actually really liked it because I thought he was very thoughtful and um and I remember he was talking to me because he wanted to go he kind of was feeling the need to go home um and he had only been out like less than a year at that point and I was able to talk to him a lot about that and um and one thing that really resonated with me was he said that one of the reasons he didn't want to go home was because he felt like his he had a sister who had gotten back from her mission and and he knew his parents didn't want his sister dating someone that either wasn't hadn't gone on a mission at all or who had come home early you know like they wanted a, a complete rm for his sister to date and he uh and so that really got to him because he was like what if i you know go and try and date someone and she's like I, you know, I can't do this because you came home from your mission early. And so, and so what I told him, which it it was for him because he was asking, but I think it was also for me, like me figuring this out for myself. Cause honestly, like a lot of the reasons I stayed on my mission were, were not healthy ones. You know, it was sort of this, this fear of not retribution, but just this, this idea that people would, would think a little less of you. Um, if you didn't do it all the way that they'd speculate or, or what have you. And so, so I told him, I was like, even if you finish, you know, you do the whole 24 months um, and you meet someone who you really like, would you, would you still want to be with that person? Even if they would have rejected you, had you not finished, you know, like, cause, cause if, I don't know, cause that was just, yeah, like I said, it was, it was for me too. It was me working through a lot of that, those same issues, even though I didn't end up in actually going home, but you know, just this idea that, um, yeah, like a person should, should want you for, for you, not for, you know, the fact that you've finished a mission because, you know, I know a lot of people that, that have completed missions who I don't think are very good people. And I know a lot of people who either came home early or didn't serve, um, who, who are amazing people. And so, so yeah, so I just think that that should always be the priority. So you, if, yeah, I wouldn't want to date someone who would have rejected me otherwise either. So, um, yeah. So, so that was, that was a big point for me. Um, even though it was helping him talking him into being okay with going home if he needed to. But, uh, I think, I think it was really helpful for me to just be okay with that. Even though, like I said, even though I did end up going till, till the end, it just kind of brought me comfort that no matter what happened, like I, I could be okay. Things would be fine. So, so yeah, so that was kind of how, how New Mexico went. Um, which, which, like I said, a mixed, a mixed bag. Um, there were, there were some great people, some great experiences, some, some affirming truths and principles that I was able to learn exclusively through that. Um, but, but also there was a lot of things that that were hard and, and not in the way that like, I feel like needs to be hard. You know, a lot of times we kind of chalk up Mm. any trial to just be like, Oh, God gave you that trial. It's like, well, like, I don't think those missionaries being terrible people was God's fault. You know, like, I think, I think sometimes trials just happen because people can do things and things can happen. Um, I think God can help us make sense of those trials and, and get through them. But I think a lot of times they are pretty arbitrary and just because of, of different circumstances in your life. And that's kind of what I had to ultimately, I think that was kind of one of the big lessons I had to learn on my mission. Like, Trials happen and, and we can, you know, we need people to support us. We can find strength in, in God. Um, but ultimately, it's not necessarily because he's out here handpicking, you know, certain things to throw our way. So, yeah, that was that was kind of a big, a big lesson on my mission. So, yeah. Anyway, that was that was pretty long winded. But yeah, that was terrific. And I just think part of you and your life mission is to be a safe person for people that need to have real conversations. And I would guess you can handle any type of conversation at this point. You probably, (laughs) and so I love that this elder knew intuitively he could talk to you about the realities of how he was feeling and you could validate that and just have natural um, pastoral and empathetic skills to help him. I love, you said, you know, that doesn't make a complete RM. You know, I loved you sort of using that vocabulary. And I think you're saying is there's no such thing as a complete or an incomplete RM. 
you're just a return missionary. Yeah. No matter how long you served and help him see that. And the point that his girlfriend should see his soul versus this checklist, that's who he really wants to be married to and see him, let him see the big picture. So I think that's just terrific. Yeah, no, yeah, it's, 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 and that's, that's what I always, I always try to be that. I always want to be someone people can feel like they, they can talk to. It's, it's hard sometimes to, I feel like the worst thing that can happen in this world is um, not just suffering, but, but suffering alone. Um, I don't think there's really anything worse than that. You know, I, at the very least, you know, this is a, is a life full of, of pain and heartache and trial. At the very least, I think we, we can, the way we can alleviate that um, as best we can is, is by being present, you know, mourning with those that mourn, comforting those that stand in need of comfort to use some of our own terminology. Um, yeah. And so that's just, that's always the goal, you know, no matter, no matter what, I just want people to feel like I am someone that, that they can find that, that comfort in. And, and, you know, I hope, I hope I succeed there. Um, but yeah, that's always one of like the, the, the highest compliments, I guess anyone has ever paid me is just, just that, that, that someone that they felt, they felt safe and comfortable talking to me. So yeah, it's, it's, it's something I strive for, for sure. Um, but yeah. And so, you know, I got home from my mission. Um, it would have been July of, of 2021. Um, I hadn't, you know, gone to school hadn't gone to college yet. Um, so, but but I still had, you know, this plan to go to Southern Utah University. I didn't really know what I wanted to study quite yet. Um, and I, you know, it was, it was just a big, big change because it just feels like um, my life sort of changed very, very permanently um, within that two-year span, um, more than most people's even do. Because, you know, I, I, I left sort of my childhood behind huh. and then started and start the mission. And then COVID happened. So that basically corresponded with that. So on top of like pre and post childhood or, or, you know, pre and post adulthood, um, there was sort of this pre and post COVID that was basically the same, like at the same time, like COVID sort of marked sort of this, this transition period in my life. Um, and then my dad, you know, got elected as governor, um, November of 2020. So that also kind of happened at the same time. So there was pre and post dad being governor. And then, yeah. So just like, all these things kind of coalesced into one like this. So, so yeah, like pre like 2019 and before and 2020 and beyond Caleb, like those lives are feel like completely disconnected from each other um, in a way that, you know, like I, I had no, like, obviously you can't take back any parts of your childhood once you're gone. Like that's kind of there, but like, but like, especially so for me, like I just, these, these two parts of my life, these two chapters, like there could not be a more definitive chapter sort of cut off in the book than there was for me. Um, so, so yeah, so it just kind of forced me to, to grapple with, with a lot of these, these hard realities, I guess that, that life was about to throw at me. Um, but yeah, but I will say, um, with, with a lot of the problems I had on my mission, even though, you know, I, I, there's the saying, what doesn't kill you, make you stronger, which I think is, you know, it can be very powerful, but also sometimes I'm, I think, well, sometimes what doesn't kill you can, can break you down. You know, it can make you weaker even, but I mean, I think you can grow stronger from it, but yeah. Um, but that is to say like, even though I wasn't completely content with the growth that I had had on my mission, even though I think there was a lot of it, um, the struggles I had gone through better equipped me to help other people, you know, that were struggling in similar ways. Um, case in point, um, sort of the brother mission sort of timeline lined up once again, because my younger brother is two years younger than I am. So right as I got back, he was prepping to leave for his mission. Um, he was called to Brazil though with COVID still and visa stuff being very, what it was, he ended up serving in, uh, Arkansas. Well, he served in Missouri. No, Mississippi. That's where he was. Um, he was in the Arkansas Little Rock mission, but he served in Mississippi um, for a while before his visa stuff caught up and he ended up making it to Brazil for a few months. Um, he, like, I, I was worried for him because I saw a lot of myself in him in a lot of ways. Like, a lot of the ways I struggled, 
I knew he was going to struggle in those exact same ways. Um, so I just wanted to let him know, like right off the bat, like, Hey, like, like you can talk to me about any of these things. Like, I don't want you to be out there on your own and, and feel as isolated as I felt sometimes, you know, you don't, you don't have to suffer that way. Um, and so, and sure enough, he, he, um, he did have a lot of the similar struggles though, maybe even amplified, actually definitely amplified to what mine were. Um, a big first struggle for him was um, Elder Holland gave, gave his speech at, at BYU um, while he was doing home MTC. And I remember him talking to me and he said, like, like that was like some, some of the most like panic and anxiety he'd ever felt um, just because I don't know, a lot of times when a church talk was able to make him, un- made him uncomfortable or there was something he disagreed with. Like, yeah, it, it hurt and it was hard, but he was able to kind of let it roll off him a little easier. But when you're on your mission, it's kind of, it, it kind of stares you in the face a lot, a lot more. And I found that to be the case too, you know, like I'd be on my mission and something in conference or in like a magazine or something, you know, one of the, like the Leahona or, or whatever it was, it, it's a lot harder to deal with that when you don't have, you know, the people surrounding you, you don't have you know, maybe the same online community you had to sort of dissect it with you. Um, and so that really was hard for him. Um, and a little bit later, I figured out why um, he was. So he had been in, in the Mississippi part of his mission for a few months. He was about to go to to Brazil. He had gotten his visa all set up. He was about to head out and he messages me on, on Facebook Messenger and he said, I forget the exact conversation, but he just told me that he was bisexual and it was something he'd been kind of coming to terms with for a while. And the mission sort of forced him to sort of face that head on um, as, as the mission often does with a lot of those types of things. Um, And yeah. And, and that just, and it explained a lot of why some of these talks were making him uncomfortable um, and why a lot of his struggles that, you know, were seemed to be even worse than they were for me, which, you know, it makes sense based, based on all that. And so, you know, he had had a decision to make because he was about to leave to Brazil. And part of him was like, I don't know if I can do this. But part of him was also like, I want to try Brazil. You know, I, I still want to see if maybe that is better because he knew how much better Tahiti was for me. So he's like, maybe, maybe taking a step away from sort of the United States political dynamic, maybe that would help a little bit. Um, and so, and so he decided, well, he, he, he was able to, to come out to my parents as well, which I, which was, I'm glad he was able to, you know, he had, he had worries, um, with that, but, but he, but we, we talked through it, you know, we talked about different ways to do it, different possible ways that could played out, but they were, you know, they were very supportive and, and I was very, very grateful for that for him because that's definitely what he needed in that moment was just all the support he could, he could have, um, and so we ended up going to Brazil. Um, it didn't really help much, unfortunately. Um, you know, certain things happened. He was he was actually mugged um, in the street once. Uh, yeah, got a little got a little beat up, and so and and he already has um, some problems with anxiety, and so he ended up um, deciding I I really need to to come home and and heal a little bit, which I was like, yes, ab- absolutely. You know, like. Again, and it, and it comes to where I felt like I couldn't come home sometimes. And so, so it was nice to be there for him to be like, it's okay. Like, like, I'm like, we're all going to be here for you. Like, you know, some, like, I don't think most people will judge you for it, but if they do, then that's that, that opinion's not worth your time. So, um, so yeah, it just kind of ties back to the struggles I, I had dealt with on my mission better prepared me to help him deal with what he was dealing with. Which was which is very nice. I think that really strengthened our our relationship. Um, but yeah, so he's able to come home, and it was absolutely the right call. He's he's doing a lot better now, thankfully. Um, he he recently got married uh, to to his wife, um, and and that was that was great to be a part of, sort of to see that all unfold. Um, you know, they were ch- they were uh, high school sweethearts. It was just it was really it was really sweet, and 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 you were there. You, you were able to, to show up and, and, and support that. And yeah, I, I'm sure you can agree. It was just a great moment. Great. Yeah, no, it was just, yeah. 
fan, fantastic. And I'm, I'm really glad he's doing a lot better. And I, I really can learn a lot from him. And I, I owe a lot of, of my own development uh, to him. You know, me and him both have gone through a lot of things together and learned a lot of things in tandem. And um, yeah, I would not be uh, sort of the person I am without him today. So, yeah. Um, talk, I assume Adam's giving you permission to share some of your story Correct, just yeah. in case listeners are wondering. Yeah, I called him, I called him yesterday and I was just like, Hey, like I have, you know, I have, I'm going on this podcast and I, I feel like sharing your story would be really, really impactful. And he's like, I was like, is that okay? And he's like, Oh yeah, absolutely. So yeah, that was permission was given there. So, and I knew you would do that. I just want our listeners to know in case they're wondering. Yeah. Uh, that's a, you know, this is a beautiful family story of support and love and understanding. I think, I think of Apollo 13. I use this line sometimes in the podcast, Regine Kratz, the, com- the commander of that mission, when things look like they're going south, everybody's around him is negative. And he says, excuse me, sir. I think this is our finest hour. And I think in some ways this is, you know, the Cox's family and you and Adam, some of your finest hours is you're talking about bear morning comfort and being there with each other. And, um, you know, I had a chance to go to your homecoming talk and Adam's farewell talk. And I thought about that on the drive home. You know, I live in Salt Lake and I think it's a couple hours drive. And I yeah. thought about the brotherhood you two have and that I'm learning more about, but your consistent message. And I also heard um, Adam's, a clip of Adam's homecoming talk, your message of God loves all his children is about as powerful a message as I've heard from two returned missionaries, or I want to give you that label. You're both returned <laughs> missionaries, but I don't want to say that just because you're returned missionaries, you can teach that way. I mean, it's, it's one of your spiritual gifts is to talk about how God loves all of his children. And I think you may understand that better because you've just gotten to know all of God's children <laughs> and you're out of your bubble, so to speak. And you recognize that. And you'll probably talk more about that, but I think this is, and to see Adam and his wife and go through that reception line and be back in Fairview was a treat for my wife and I, and just to see how happy they are uh, and um, your SUU group around you. And I could just sort of, and maybe you'll talk about that, just this community found at SUU. So you're doing a great job. Keep sharing. Yeah, no, Caleb. I, no, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that it really is kind of the next piece of it is, is, is college and, um, yeah. And that was just, I mean, obviously this was kind of playing out in tandem with sort of Adam's whole mission thing, but, um, yeah, it was just quite, quite an adjustment. Um, just cause I tend to be kind of a very person that values security over risk. Um, I, I try to take more risks and I try to put myself out there more, but you know, it's just, sometimes it can be difficult, um, to, you know, try new things, especially away from home and stuff. I, I tend to sort of sort of revert back and, 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 and sort of coil back into sort of these like more, more comfortable spaces. Um, and so, so that kind of made the college adjustment pretty difficult. You know, I, I would sometimes struggle to make friends and put myself out there. And so I, you know, get back to my apartment at the end of the day and just have no one to talk to. So, so that was, that was, that was kind of a tough adjustment. That first year, that freshman year was, was pretty, was pretty difficult because it felt like, I don't know, just felt like kind of high school or middle school all over again, where I was just struggling to make friends was awkward. And cause I hadn't really had to make friends because, you know, middle school through high school was like all just kind of like one continuous thing with the same people. So it was like kind of a reset that I hadn't had in a while. And I was kind of out of practice with those skills. Um, so it just kind of forced me to figure out, I guess, who I was, you know, if I didn't have other people to bounce off of, like, am I comfortable with myself? Am I comfortable with my own thoughts? Um, and I don't know if I was for a while, you know, I think I drowned out a lot of that with, you know, social media and, and videos and movies and whatnot, you know, just to try and keep the thoughts at bay, you know, and, um, and I don't think it was healthy, but, but it's just kind of what I did. Um, but, but even with all those distractions, I think I did find a little bit of time to sort of have that introspection just cause it's, I had to. You know, I had certain people in my life. Uh, my older brother was down there that year, and we lived in the same apartment complex. And he was—he invited me to come hang out with his friends all the time. So that was—that was very kind of him. And and it wasn't a complete, you know, isolation thing, but definitely, I just was looking because I felt like in high school, and a lot of people really look back 
not so fondly in high school, but I really, you know, I had a great group of friends. Things were, things were comfortable. Things were simple, you know? So I, I just really wanted to have like that, that support group that I had in those formative years again, but it's, you can't just snap that into existence. You need to, you need to work for it. And I think it was just hard because I needed that support group now, but like, but you can't just have it right away. And so, um, but thankfully towards the end of that freshman year and, and through to this past year, which was my sophomore year, I was able to find that community and that, that, that sort of group that I was looking for. Um, you know, and a lot of it, a lot of it was actually weirdly, like it was through work. I, I worked on campus. I still work on campus at the registrar's office. Um, which was really nice because that allowed me to, you know, meet other students. And I was able to meet most of my current friends through there. In fact, the group that you saw me hanging out with at Adam's wedding was, had all come from Cedar city and they were almost exclusively uh, coworkers. Um, so yeah. And, uh, and a lot of them are LGBTQ themselves. So somehow the registrar's office is, is a magnet, I feel like for a lot of those people, um, which, which has been really, really, really interesting. Um, just finding those people in my life that, that care about me and also, you know, continue, like I said, even though like I, I grew and had a lot of changes, I'm still, I'm still learning. I'm still growing. I'm still changing. Um, so to really surround myself in person with, with people from that community and not just online, um, I think was, was an additional step, you know, just to just see their experiences firsthand. You know, one of my friends, he's, he's, he's trans and he, uh, you know, just seeing a lot of the struggles and the things that have been going on, you know, in this state and this country in regards to trans people to see that through his eyes, has just been really, really hard, you know, just to see him hurt like that. And, and I just, I just hope that I can, it just has given me the extra motivation that I, like, I need to continue to put myself out here. Like, I, I need to be not just an ally, but an advocate, but you know, someone who's out here trying to make a change. Um, because I, I know who he is. I know what he deserves. And, um, and it's just hard when he doesn't get, you know, the support and, and the, the, the safety that, that he deserves. Um, and so, yeah, but, but even, even with all that, all the struggle, um, I've found a lot of healing in, in these communities that I've been able to foster for myself. Um, I think community is really, really important. Um, that's where I see God most days. Um, most of these days is, is within community. I think just, you know, a group of people. And, and that's honestly part of why the church was, was so important to me growing up was it, it gave me that community. You know, I saw a group of people that cared about each other and wanted to uplift each other. And, and I see that, you know, in some of these other spaces with people who have either left the church, don't have never been in the church or have a complicated relationship with the church. Um, just this idea of, of supporting each other and, and being there for one another. I think, I think I see, you know, I see God there. I see, I, I think he's, he's there and he, he's present. And, um, and I think, he, he knows, you know, the struggles that these people are going through and, and he wants justice. He wants them to be safe. He wants them to be fulfilled and live fulfilling lives. And, uh, yeah. And I just think we have to be tools for that cause. You know, we can't just expect to pray it and it, it's going to happen. Like we have to be his hands if we want those things to happen. So, yeah. Um, you say some really good things that I write down. <laughs> um, when you talked about your trans friend, mm -hmm. see things through his eyes. What a powerful suggestion for all of us, Caleb. Yeah, it's, it's important. To see things through his eyes and to be present for him and have proximity to him, understand his story, and then your heart just grows. Yeah. So. And then I love the pragmatic side of your ministry. I call it a ministry. Just the work you're doing, we're all trying to do is, it's one thing to pray, but it's another thing to pray and then just go do something. Right, yeah. And sort of say, I am God's hands. I think you said, I am the hands that's going to make a difference here. Yeah. So those are really important principles of what I would call following the ministry of Christ in a very real and thoughtful and intentional way. For sure. 
yeah, no. Um, yeah, I think that that really is the first step is just, you know, you have to sort of not not give up yourself, but you, you need to sort of try and completely yeah, just completely see see them um as 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 who they are. Um that's that's really the first step in figuring out what what is your role in in sort of making this change, making this difference is is first sort of yeah, removing yourself from it and letting them sort of show you or tell you or just just seeing, you know, that. Um it's it's yeah, it's not the only step. A lot of times we say like, oh, you know, I, I I'm listening to you, like, you know, I'm 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 giving you this space, which which is the important first step, but I think we can't just leave it there. You know, we have to to listen and 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 then we have to we have to act. We have to be be very hands-on. I think if if you if we want to be real allies, there has to be an active effort to to do that. It's not something you just get to call yourself and put in your you know, Twitter bio or whatever, like you have to, you have to be actively engaged in that to, to sort of earn that, that label. Um, and, and I think, and I hope, I hope I'm, I'm doing that. I, I, I know there's, there's, there's things I can always improve on, but, but that's just, that's just my, my hope is that, um, is that I can make a difference and, and be a part of, of whatever it is needs to be done, um, within, within these communities. So. And I, I like, I really like that. And I think my general advice listeners and regular listeners have heard this is the act part that Caleb's inviting us to do is everybody's got to kind of do that the way it works for them. So, you know, well, I don't think Caleb's saying do it like Caleb and I'm not saying do it like me and start a podcast. I think you've got to figure out, I think God will lead you. <laughs> I, I like Nephi 4.6. For those of you that are LDS not knowing, Nephi said, not knowing beforehand the things as the Spirit would lead. I'm paraphrasing mm-hmm. Nephi's call in his space as he was being led in the things God was asking him to do. So sometimes you're not, you don't know beforehand, um, but you're just led by the Spirit. So do this your way. I think it's good to listen to other allies' stories. Yeah. But do it your way, the best way you can, and use. I like Caleb's word, "act." You've got to do something. Keep sharing, Caleb. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, and I hope we're not we're not running too long. I know you had. No, your... I'm fine. <laughs> You're the one probably on a tighter deadline, so that, keep going. That is slow. true. That is true. But yeah, I do. Yeah, I know. There's there's some of this stuff I've written down in my notes that I'll probably forego. But but there is. If, yeah, one thing I just sort of I think this is kind of a good maybe conclusion, or at least um, just the last thing I kind of really want to mention. <laughs> Um, you know, it's like you said, like there's different ways to make a difference. Um, and each way could be unique. Um, one thing and that I've found um that's been been a good outlet for me is 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 art. Um, not necessarily art in you know, like the painting sense, but just like sort of the the, the joy of of creativity, um, making something that's so uniquely you. Um, I'm on top of being a psychology major, I'm a film minor. That's something that's very important to me. Not just watching movies, but just how how the whole process is is done and um and and uh one thing i was able to do this past year was was finally you know put put rubber to the road and not just talk about making movies but actually make one um it's just this little sort of thing i cooked up it was it was a project for a film class but the parameters of this project were pretty vague so you can kind of make whatever you wanted which was really nice because it allowed me to sort of figure out how i wanted to express myself in that moment (laughs) And, um, so I just made this little short film called the spaces we hold. I sent it to you it's great. last night. Yeah. It's just this sort of experimental, you know, non-narrative film where I just sort of, sort of observed some of the, the places I was in, you know, and, and, and I just found like that theme kind of ties back to sort of that idea of loneliness, um, how sometimes we can be surrounded by people and be lonely. Um, and sometimes we can be whole and, 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 and complete in isolation. Um, and sometimes, but sometimes we do find joy in, in those groups sometimes, yeah, you know, just like this juxtaposition of, of sort of isolation and crowds. And I don't know that that's just, it's hard, it's hard to describe because it's mostly like a visual audio thing. Um, but, but it just sort of allowed me to express a lot of the, a lot of the loneliness I was feeling, but also like the gratitude I had. Um, just, just, yeah, just this idea that, um, you know, we're all, 
we're all trying to, we're all trying to make it, you know? And, um, I think, I think this sort of allowed me to, even though it's not necessarily, you know, LGBTQ adjacent, I think, you know, we have sort of these universal sort of feelings and experiences that we all can relate to. And it just gave me an, a place to sort of, uh, dissect that for myself and, and hopefully gave anyone who was able to watch it a space to sort of reflect and, and, and sort of ponder those, those emotions that they felt in their lives. So that's been a great way for me to feel like I'm making some kind of a difference. You know, even if I have someone who comes up to me and says like, Hey, this, this thing you made really impacted me like that. That's enough for me to, to, you know, know that I'm doing what I need to, you know, and that I'm doing, doing what I want to and what, what is important to me. So yeah, I, I find, yeah, I find God in community and I find God in art. And I think those are two of the things I've learned since, since starting college have been big, big parts of my, my journey, I guess. We'll add that YouTube video to the show notes. Um, I think it's called the spaces we hold. Correct. Correct. And it's non-narrative. When, yeah. I, when you sent it to me, I, after a couple of minutes, I think it's only five minutes long. I yeah. kept thinking I'd, then I realized the beauty of this is there's no talking. Yeah. And it allowed me to listen to the music and allowed me to take on the visual imagery you pulled in. It allowed me to sort of be more creative and introspective as I was not caught up in the narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, it was great. Yeah. Talk about um, why you want to be a psychology major and what you hope that will lead to. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I just, you know, it all kind of comes back to, you know, some of my core ethos is just you know, wanting to help people in, in the best ways I can, but also feeling being fulfilled in, you know, in my own right. Um, and I think that kind of struck that balance where, you know, whatever it is, I'm still not sure what I want to do as a career. Part of me wants to be, you know, a therapist or a counselor, or maybe even a college professor in psychology. Another big one is, um, is maybe, you know, like a big thing in the psychology field is just research. Um, I think all of those are great things, you know, to do and all of them center around helping people, you know, even in research, which isn't necessarily client based, you know, you're still finding out things that can help people in the future. Um, But I think I tend to lean more towards the college professor therapist side of things just because I want to be more interactive. Um, But I just think, you know, it's, it's just a way for me to wanting to help people that are struggling, that are, that are suffering and alleviate in the, that in the ways that I can. Um, yeah. And that just, I just wanted a career where it just didn't feel like I was just doing it just to do it. I wanted, obviously you can't, you need to strike the balance between being able to support yourself. You know, you can't like, and so, so I also had to find sort of mix that into it, but this felt like kind of like the, the perfect intersection of something that interested me, something that I feel like I could do and something that felt like I could do it and reasonably support myself and, and be fulfilled in it. So yeah, that was kind of where that came in. More things you'd like to share? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think, yeah, I just, yeah, you know, I, I want to just kind of put a bow on this if I can, but um, yeah, I don't know. I just hope people can know, like, there's, there's lots of good to be experienced in this life. There's a lot of good to be done. Um, you just have to be very proactive in finding it. Um, and yeah. And just, it's never, it's never too late to do those things either. If you feel like you've lost your chance or you, you know, you've burned a bridge with someone, you know, maybe, maybe that's true. Um, maybe, maybe in certain cases, you know, things need to be sort of put in the past, but, um, but I just think, um, yeah, regardless of who you are, regardless of where you come from, you know, we are who we come to be. And I, I just hope that everyone knows that there's, yeah, just that there's good to be done and that you don't have to suffer alone and that we, we can't do anything alone. We need community. We need, we need sort of these, these, these places to, that we can be authentically ourselves and that other people can be authentically themselves around us. And, um, yeah. And just, yeah, I just, I just want everyone to, to be, to be loved, to love, and yeah, sorry, that was, that was, that was not really one, one thing, but uh, yeah, I just, I just want everyone to, to be okay. <laughs> I just want everyone to make it. And I think we can, but we have to, we have to have 
support. We need to support each other in doing that. So, yeah. Well, I think you're a Gen Z if I've got my numbers right. Yeah, I think, I think, I think I'm in that, that demographic. <laughs> but you give me hope. It's, it's men and women like you and your age group that often gives me hope for the future of the world. Um, as I listen to you, Caleb, everything you're trying to do is about helping others. Even when you talked about the why, because becoming a psychology major, that was about others. When you talk about what you love to do at SUU, when you talk about why you served a mission, when you talked about Jose and that missionary, those are two different people. Yeah, you heard yeah that guy for in. sure. <laughs> um, and respect for you, Adam, if you're listening, for having the, the courage to come out to your brother and your family and be authentic with who you are and get on with your life. You're a terrific young man. And, but um, I just get hope in the world when I, your generation is just different than my generation because you're so much more wired to say who is the most marginalized and what can I do as an ally in my position of privilege to help them. And I think, you know, I sometimes look at, you said you're 22. Mm -hmm. I mean, it'd be fascinating to see your life at 32, 42, 52. And I guess as you'll point back to this, this, this period of time that was so dramatic for you and say, the rest of my life is possible because of what happened, even though at times that was difficult. Right. And sort of the deconstructing, reconstructing, and the shift, and the added skills that came into you to navigate the complexities of life are painful. But this is me talking to not just Caleb, but those of you that are in this generation. But I just think the rest of your life's possible because of the hard work you've done, the courage, not to say everybody should go and accept a new mission to New Mexico, but your courage to do that and navigate the complexities of that, lift people's burdens. and your ability probably just to be a safe person, um, whatever the conversation is. And I think that'll be a temp up for the rest of your life. And, you know, I love your parents. I love your family. Um, I think you're a terrific family. I read this and I want to see if Adam, has, I mean, Caleb has any final quotes, but I read this a little bit on the podcast. You that re- listen regularly, it's Henry Noren, a Catholic priest, I think he is. He wrote, a minister's service will not be perceived as authentic unless it comes from a heart wounded by the suffering about which he speaks. The great illusion of leadership is to think others can be led of a desert by someone who's never been there. So this business about Jesus's ministry to help others is not just theoretical for you. Mm-hmm. You know the pain of some of the things you've gone through personally. And when you talk about your trans friends being able to see through things through his eyes. And so your ability then to authentically lead people out of the desert, because you know sister deserts, you know that world in general. May you don't know exactly a trans person's story, but you can understand enough to give them hope. And I think that's part of the woundedness of mortality and the difficult things that come into our life is then we can authentically help other people because we get it. And so I think your life will be part of that. One of the challenges for your age group or for anybody in this space is still to find boundaries with taking care of yourself and your emotional health and knowing how much of this you can do while you get on with your own education, your own life. You've, I think you've got a girlfriend right now and how to manage that. So you'll know how to do that just like you have your whole life of just knowing when a decision's be made, you'll know when to do that and how best to do that. Anything I've said that you want to go back to or anything you just want to say in closing? Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I don't know. I just want to reiterate like uh, my relationship with, with the church, which I mentioned to you earlier is, is a complicated one. It's, okay. it's one I'm still, I'm still figuring out. I wish I could have just like a very specific answer, but I feel like it, it changes even, even day to day, minute to minute. So, um, but, but I think yeah, we just need to be patient of of people where they're at on their on their journeys, and I think you do a really good job of having people on that are kind of in any different part of the, uh, part of that phase. And um, yeah, and I don't know. I just I just think you know, life life is too short to be kind of hung up on a lot of those 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 details. I think I think the bigger picture is that we need to 
you know, life, life's too difficult to, to make it more difficult for others. You know, like we, we are in a very unique position to, um, you know, lift, lift that burden, you know, like, like life, life's going to throw a million things at, at us. You know, we, we need not add those burdens to other people, you know? So, so that's just, that's just kind of what I, what I want to do. That's kind of like my, my goal is to make the suffering a little, a little less in ways that I can while I'm here. So, yeah. You will do that. You, you are doing that. And I bet there's a lot of listeners that would say, uh, you know, talk about Caleb and the way you've helped me. I, you know, my younger self would have been nervous with you describing your relationship with the church as complicated. My older self would say, that's just fine, Caleb. Um, it's okay to have a complicated relationship with the church. It's not something that I would give you a toolbox to make it uncomplicated. My uh, older self, me right now, would say, that's okay. I trust you. And you'll know how to figure this out. And it may stay complicated. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And it may not go back to what it was before. I have a complicated relationship with the church. I'm okay with that vocabulary, you know, and just where the church is, particularly supporting marginalized groups of people, I, that's complicated for me. Yeah. And so I, and I'm not sure I'll go back to the way it used to be for me. I just sort of go forward and not looking, this as a setback. Yeah. I just sort of go forward I'm not expecting things to be the way they used to be and recognizing that that's maybe okay. And my ability to help people is maybe more enhanced. Not sure this is true for everybody because it's complicated. Yeah. I sort of understand other people's complicated relationships with life. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So anything else you want to say before we sign off? Uh, No, I think, I think, I think that's, that's good. I think we covered it. So Caleb Cox, so glad to have you on the podcast and um, you've got a great life ahead of you full of helping people and, and hopefully joy for you along the way. And so this is Richard and Caleb signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn and Love. Mm-hmm.